0: This is Amazing Things. I'm Adam Belmar. The Ebola virus is a terrifying, rapidly fatal, and until just recently, untreatable disease with a mortality rate between 25 and 90%. And in an increasingly interconnected world, where an airplane trip is all it takes to connect rural African communities and a major American city, the potential worldwide threat is clear. Inside the Scientific Discovery and the Public-Private Partnership that Turned the Tide on Ebola, after this.
1: The Amazing Things Podcast is presented by United for Medical Research, because America's investment in medical research through the National Institutes of Health is making amazing things possible. Learn more at unitedformedicalresearch.com.
0: For those afflicted by it, Ebola can be a death sentence. The largest known Ebola outbreak in human history, West Africa, 2014. More than 28,000 infected. More recently, the Democratic Republic of Congo, 2019. A major Ebola outbreak wreaked havoc and fear. The
2: reason why it's so scary is the high mortality rate. Because untreated, the mortality, uh, for example, in the ongoing Democratic Republic of the Congo outbreak, that in individuals who are not treated at all, the mortality is 67%. That's extraordinarily high for any viral infection. That is world-renowned immunologist Dr. Anthony Fauci,
0: director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. He is the quarterback of America's team fighting diseases like Ebola. The death is a very
2: painful Difficult death, and it's transmitted. It doesn't transmit easily like influenza, which you can get by having somebody be on an elevator sneezing next to you or on a subway or in a crowded room. It's transmitted by direct contact with the contaminated body fluids. The people who are at the highest risk are your family who's taking care of you, or the healthcare providers who's taking care of you, and the morticians if you happen to die. So it's the direct contact with individuals. The scary part is the high degree of mortality that's in this disease.
0: As scary as it is, there has never been an Ebola outbreak here in the United States. And for very good reason, public health officials, biomedical researchers in the public and private sectors have worked with
2: urgency to develop treatments and a vaccine. Well, when you're dealing with infectious diseases of any type, you always have to remember that infectious diseases know no borders. The public health and health care capabilities in the United States and other developed nations would make it highly unlikely that you would have an outbreak of the magnitude that you saw in West Africa in 2014 and 2016, and currently in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. However, the fact that there is world travel and people who go there to take care of individuals might come back having been exposed means we need to understand it and we need to be able to respond to it the way we did when several of our own US citizen health workers went over to West Africa, got infected, and were cared for it here. I myself took care personally of two of them, uh, one that was infected in Texas, Nina Pham, the nurse, and another who was a, a physician's assistant who was infected. As a wealthy nation with all of our capabilities, both in resources and knowledge and ability to respond, we do have a global responsibility, I feel, and many of my colleagues feel, in and out of government a responsibility to help nations that don't have the resources that we have to be able to respond. So it is not only what we call enlightened self-interest to prevent diseases like Ebola from coming here, but even more so, it's the responsibility we have to contain diseases such as Ebola, which have a terrible morbidity and mortality, when other nations can't do that for themselves.
0: What turned the tide was some very innovative science here in the United States? While work on a vaccine for Ebola had been underway for more than a decade, another approach to treatment, using monoclonal antibodies, was taking shape inside and outside of the NIH.
2: The whole idea of using antibodies in response to an outbreak is a relatively new concept. You always talk about trying to develop a vaccine, but often vaccine takes years to develop. And when you're dealing with an outbreak of a new disease, you don't have time to develop a vaccine. I mean, you ultimately develop it, but it's usually for the next and second and third generation of that outbreak. Whereas the idea of having a monoclonal antibody that you could rapidly deploy makes your capability to respond very, very, very much truncated.
0: For one company based in Tarrytown, New York, the systems, the science, and the infrastructure to create an Ebola-fighting antibody was already in place. Dr. Neil Stahl, Executive Vice President, Research and Development, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals
1: we had decided to make a drug for Ebola because we thought we had the best technology to do so. And we thought the world was in dire need of that during the 2014 West African outbreak. And so we decided as a group that we could probably do a very good job making the best drugs. And it was up and down through the entire company because we got an email from our CEO, Len Schleifer, saying, isn't there anything that we can do about this? And so we were all thinking in a uniform manner. And so in September of 2014, we took the plunge and started making a cocktail that took advantage of all of our unique technologies to make fully human monoclonal antibodies.
0: The breakthrough that everyone in the research community was waiting on finally came in August of 2019, on the ground in Democratic Republic of Congo, in the middle of an ongoing clinical trial. The data was suddenly
2: undeniable. We did a randomized controlled trial of four therapeutics for Ebola and proved quite dramatically that two of them, two of the four, were highly significantly better in decreasing mortality by a significant degree in those individuals who have that. That was monoclonal antibody 114 and a monoclonal antibody produced by the Regeneron. Company. We were obviously thrilled when we looked at the data and found out that it was really a highly significant diminution in mortality with the two drugs in question, monoclonal antibody 114 and the Regeneron product. It was a great feeling, but you reflect that although that was a clinical trial, that was the expression of a culmination of years and years of research. So you you look upon it not only as one event. We looked at the trial. The trial gave the data, so now we could say it works. You think back when you first started doing this literally many, many, many years ago. I mean, we've been working on Ebola for well over a decade, maybe close to two decades And yet the fundamental basic science that we did along the way, together with our collaboration with private industry, pharmaceutical companies, etc., led to that moment where you could say definitively that these two interventions work. And so the next time we have an outbreak of Ebola, we're going to have treatments to give to people.
0: At Regeneron, news that their self-initiated work on Ebola had led to success and that their monoclonal antibody was a critical part of this breakthrough treatment inspired the entire company.
1: Well, we got news that the trial was stopped because our drug, Regeneron EB3, had crossed a pre-specified threshold for being so effective that it was unethical to use the other drugs anymore. And so they stopped two of the treatments and carried on two of the treatments, our drug as well as the NIH's uh, Mab 114, and they used those for all the rest of the patients that became ill. When we heard the news, we're overjoyed and incredibly moved. I myself was actually in Switzerland giving a talk, amazingly enough, to African students and Middle Eastern students, telling them about our technologies to treat infectious disease, including Ebola. And at that time, I didn't know the data, but two days later when I heard this data, it was midnight in Switzerland, And I got telephone calls and text messages, and I was just so incredibly moved I couldn't sleep for about three hours after that. And we were all so happy that our drug was making a difference in saving people and also allowing the physicians who treat these people on the ground to have effective treatments so that their heroic efforts actually could mean something
2: and actually save lives. Regeneron made a combination of antibodies, three antibodies that worked against Ebola. We collaborated with them by doing the clinical trial. BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority of the Department of Health and Human Services, the Assistant Secretary for Prevention and Response, essentially bankrolled the development Of that with Regeneron. Regeneron discovered it and we helped them develop it. And then we did the clinical trial that actually showed that Regeneron product together with monoclonal antibody 114 were the two interventions in that trial that clearly were better than the control, which was ZMAP, as well as another intervention, which is called remdesivir. So it not only shows you the contribution of fundamental basic science on the part of the NIH, both people here in our campus, as well as our grantees, but it also showed the collaboration with industries such as companies such as Regeneron, so it is a good public-private partnership.
0: For Regeneron, that partnership continues because they are not alone in realizing that the threat from Ebola remains very real.
1: We have committed to supplying uh, our mixture of antibodies for the ongoing outbreak. We're working closely with the FDA to get the drug officially approved. And we also are talking to BARDA, who has intended to stockpile this drug, because unfortunately, not only do we have these outbreaks around the world, we have the possibility of bioterrorism, where the virus could be weaponized and used in terror attacks.
0: And there it is, the biggest danger for all of us, the potential for bad actors to commit bioterrorism. That is why our nation's investment in biomedical research through the National Institutes of Health is part of a larger culture of preparedness and response.
2: And you used a couple of words, which is really important. People need to understand if there's one message to leave to people, there's preparedness and there's response. If all you do is respond, you're going to be chasing things. And usually when you chase them, they stay a foot, a yard, or a mile ahead of you. Whereas if you prepare by developing platforms of vaccines or diagnostics or therapeutics that can be used across the board, for anything that might come up, that's really something because you don't have to be behind the eight ball. You can be right up there. So you always got to look at preparedness and response. And in fact, in the Department of Health and Human Services, that's the name of the component, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, ASPR. It isn't just responding to an outbreak, it's preparing for an outbreak.
1: The Amazing Things podcast is presented by United for Medical Research. Because America's investment in medical research through the National Institutes of Health is making amazing things possible. Learn more at unitedformedicalresearch.com.